Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today I am thrilled, 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 thrilled to have Devin Burke on with me. Once I knew he was a sleep expert, I thought this is going to be a good podcast and I was so right. <laughs> he is the founder of the Sleep Science Academy, and we delve into how he became a sleep expert, what his academy does, and he gives tips for everyone, but especially for those who are suffering from insomnia. And it also is interesting to find out what causes insomnia and how you can do something about it. It's not just in your DNA or genetics. Devin is so intelligent, and I loved, loved our talk today, and I feel like he's going to help so many of you. So please enjoy my talk with Devin. Welcome, Devin. So happy to have you on today to talk about something that I'm sure everybody <laughs> wants to know more about, sleep. Yeah, it's an important topic, and we all do it. <laughs> yeah, so I my first question right out of the gates is how in the world did you become interested in this? Was this from a personal experience? I'm like, how, how does one become a sleep expert? Yeah, I don't have a story of, of a painful story of me not being able to sleep. Most people ask that question. They think, oh, you must be real. You must have really bad sleep issues or, you know, uh, it was actually somebody else's pain. And I looked into um, what was available for this particular person that I was working with in a different capacity. This was about five, six years ago. Um, and what I found was really sleeping pills. And I, I was like, wow, that doesn't look like a great solution. So I started to kind of go into the rabbit hole. And the further I, down the rabbit hole I went, the more interesting things got. And um, then I really just understood so much more about how sleep is the foundation of health. And 
there's not a lot of there wasn't a lot of good solutions. There still really isn't a lot of good solutions for people. There's a lot of misinformation, a lot of confusion around sleep. And I just got really, really passionate about um, helping people solve this problem. And so it was really just through my own curiosity and, and someone else's pain that really mm. led me to, um, to dive into sleep. Well, and what's wonderful about finding a passion that you that becomes your avocation is that um, it, this particular one is relevant to everyone. I mean, I'm sure there are people who never struggle with sleep issues, but I think they're very rare. I think it's much more common in our modern day lifestyle and uh, et cetera that people struggle with it. And like you said, many um, turn to uh, pills as, as some kind of relief because they, you know, it does put you to sleep. But can you explain like the difference between the sleep you get when you take a pill versus the sleep you would get without that? Yeah, so there's a big difference between sedation and sleep. And I, I like to give the analogy, if someone came up and, and uh, punched you in the face and you're laying on the sidewalk and people walk by and didn't see that happen, they might think that you were taking a nap. But if we dragged you into a sleep lab and hooked you up, we would see that you are definitely, it looks like you're sleeping, but you're not. Um, and that's kind of what most of the sleeping pills that are available that people take kind of do. It's, uh, it's, it's sedates them, but doesn't really get allowed the body to get into natural sleep phases, which then people wake up, leave, you know, feeling groggy. They wake up feeling sometimes more tired than when they went to sleep because their body really isn't getting naturalistic sleep. And I want to be clear. I mean, there's definitely a time and a place for sleep medication. I'm not anti-medication by any means. It's just, there's a big gap between people understanding how to how and when to use them correctly. And they're really band-aids. They're meant to be a temporary solution. They're not sustainable. Uh, they don't address the root cause. Um, so so that's, the, that's the big difference. It's naturalistic sleep versus sedation. And sedation is, it's not real sleep. Yeah, so can we, can we dive into um, the root cause? Because I was reading on your mission and it says to give the 40 plus million people who suffer from insomnia the tools. Uh, so what are, I'm just, it's not one root cause, I'm sure, but what are, yeah. what are some of the root causes of insomnia? And, and also, can you define insomnia? Because I think that there's different forms of sleep difficulties and insomnia sounds like a, has its own label. Yeah, so let's start there. De de defining insomnia is there's different types of insomnia. So there's onset insomnia, which is people have trouble initiating sleep, and there's maintenance insomnia, which is people have trouble staying asleep. And then there's different classifications versus um, how how sort of intense or long those types of insomnia go on for. So transient insomnia is for a couple of days, um, up to a couple of weeks. Then there's what's called acute insomnia, which is less than three months. And then once it goes more than three months, then it becomes what we call chronic insomnia. And then it goes even into more subcategories like psychophysiological insomnia, which is what most people have and they don't realize they have it, which is more based, how I can explain it is it's a fancy way of saying it's learned insomnia. It's people have an event that triggers some poor sleep. And then what happens is they get in these habit, these patterns of trying to force and control something that they can't force or control. And then it 
creates this anticipatory anxiety that then cascades into them continuing to not be able to sleep. So that's a lot. Um, but there is, I mean, even you go, we can even go a couple layers deeper into that. But in a nutshell, insomnia is, is trouble either getting or staying asleep and it's affecting your, your daytime activities. And um, there's, again, depending on how long and how intense puts you in a different bucket. Okay. So what would be some of the causes of that? Because I, I certainly know, you know, women, everybody that hits menopause talks about how their sleep is trash, you know? So I'm sure obviously there's hormonal, there's a huge psychological one that you are referencing here. Almost that, um, yeah, it's like that the brain has just hooked into, oh, I'm supposed to do this. And then like you almost set it like you push the button by already anticipating, well, I hope I get to sleep past three o'clock. And it's like, <laughs> you're setting it up for your brain to be like, oh, let's, let's wake yourself up again. So what are some of the, some of the root causes? Yeah. So there's, there's physical causes like hormone imbalance. Like you mentioned, most women, I think it, the statistics is about 60% of women during menopause have issues with their sleep. So it's extremely common for women going through menopause to have issues with their sleep. There could be other root issues like brain tumors or multiple sclerosis or some kind of neurological disease that creates insomnia. So there's the, definitely the physical aspects of what creates insomnia. And then the psychological aspects, mainly being stress and anxiety that then become these learned patterns that keep people stuck. So sometimes most people think that they have a physical reason for what you know, ongoing insomnia, but then they come to realize that it's actually more of a psychological one. And it's hard to sometimes distinguish, well, is this learned or is there actually something physically wrong with me that's creating this ongoing insomnia? Oftentimes, I mean, the, the body affects the mind, right? And the mind affects the body. So it's sort of, it can be a bit tricky sometimes, but once you really, you know, get into somebody's sort of health history and how something started, for me, at least, it becomes very, very clear as to like, okay, this is more of a psychological issue now versus a physiological one or vice versa, if that makes sense. It totally does. Because at the end of the day, the, the brain is in charge of everything, right? Yeah. So it's like that it would make sense that we go there to figure out. Um, and the brain is, you know, our thoughts, our perception, but also our neural wiring, our habits. So um, would you say if you had to estimate is it a majority of the people this is either starts off or definitely becomes a psychological issue? Yes. I would say probably 90% 90, 90 of people. Now, it might have not started as a psychological issue. It might have actually started as a physiological issue that then became a psychological issue. And this is where it becomes really tricky for people because people then address it from a physiological standpoint and negate the psychological aspects. And they get more frustrated because those things that they're trying are not working. And so I can give you a couple of examples. So um, let's say there was, uh, you know, menopause, for instance, right? So your hormones get out of whack. You're having hot flashes in the middle of the night. Of course, you're not sleeping, right? Then that subsides. But you're like, okay, well, I'm still not sleeping. I'm not having these hot flashes, but I still find myself waking up at a certain time. I got my hormones checked. They're, they're in balance. So now it's more of a psychological issue, right, than a physiological one at that point. 
Um, so a lot of times we get moms, moms that have young kids, their kids aren't sleeping. So, you know, they're not sleeping. Then their kids eventually are sleeping and now they're not sleeping. Right. And so there's all these, there's the event of what creates, you know, the disturbance. And then there's what we do after. And that's a lot of times people get stuck in what they're doing or not doing after the event. And the event can be physical. It can be psychological. Um, and so that's kind of where it can be a bit confusing, um, for people that, that are suffering from this specific issue. So I'm wondering if there is kind of a, uh, golden spectrum of the number of hours people need. Sometimes you hear like, oh, I only need five hours of sleep. And some people are like, I need 10 hours of sleep. But what is really the, I mean, I think as humans, there's going to be some variability, but there is, is there a, does that ever come into play? Like this is our goal is to get this amount of sleep or is it really the quality of that sleep that matters or both? Really both. And, it, you know, as far as the amount of sleep you need, it really depends. Depends on your lifestyle, your age, your gender, so many factors there. Generally healthy adults need between seven and eight hours. Um, but some people need more. Some people can get away with a little bit less. And that changes our sleep, you know, changes throughout our life based off of what's going on in our bodies, what's going on in our lifestyle. Um, and so there's not really a, a, you know, a specific number that's number sort of changes for you. And that's also based off of your chronobiology. So we come into this world with a certain chronotype, which is, you know, so some people you've heard of like a night owl or a morning person, or, you know, you're some, maybe somewhere in between and there's pre sort of disposed genetic uh, genes that sort of dictate when and how much sleep we need. Now, I think people sometimes play into that a little bit too much, but there is, there absolutely is that as well. So, um, and then as far as answering the question around, well, is quantity versus quality, both are really important because if you're not getting enough sleep, it, you're not, you're never going to get the quality of sleep that you need. Uh, and quality of sleep, there's a lot of things as far as, you know, what is quality of sleep? It's, you know, deep sleep or delta sleep or REM sleep, which is really both are super, super important phases of sleep. A lot happens in both of those stages. And even night into night, even if you're doing the same exact things, the variation of the amount of deep sleep you're getting or the amount of REM sleep you're getting is going to drastically change. And that has to do with a variety of factors from stress levels, from what you ate, the time that you ate, how much sun you got. Um, a lot of things that just people don't even realize that are having an impact. So that's going to fluctuate night in and night out. So we really look at trends over time to determine, hey, is somebody's quality of sleep increasing or decreasing? And what can we do to sort of mitigate it? And what do you use to collect that data? Like I know I have a good old aura ring and it's yeah. really, do you, it's really funny because it's like, seems like your heart rate, uh, you know, was delayed in going down. Did you eat a little late? I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like somebody's watching me. But like you said, <laughs> it, it does matter. Like if you eat a little later, that ability to drop the heart rate and the temperature um, is delayed because your right. body's working at digesting the food. Uh, what, how do you measure this when you're, when you're working with people? Yeah. So we, we also use the aura ring just because we found it's the most accurate, least invasive tracker. I mean, there's a lot of you know, wristwatches and you know, the whoop band and, you know, even head things you can put on your head or things you put under your bed. We just find that people are, it's the aura ring gives really good metrics. Um, and 
so that's what we use. And really, we're looking at sleep efficiency, which is time in bed, sleep latency, which is how fast you fall asleep. And then once we get you efficient and you're able to fall and stay asleep for the amount of time that makes sense for your, your unique situation, then we look at, okay, how do we optimize more deep sleep, more REM sleep? What are we doing that is getting in the way, like you mentioned, maybe eating too late at night, that's heating the body up, uh, or you know, not having enough wind down time between your day and your night. Like, what are some of those things where we can pull these levers to then increase the quality and depth of the sleep? And so that's really like the last phase when we work with people. We look at that because first you got to just get enough, enough mm -hmm. sleep. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm thinking about my husband. Um, this just goes back to some of the genetics. He's always been someone who required uh, just fewer hours. And his mother was the same way. Like I actually witnessed they would, but I, but now we um, do have, he has a lot going on. We're building a home and there's just a lot going on in his brain. And he is like waking up at three, three thirty every day. Um, and he doesn't feel tired when he wakes up. He feels kind of tired midday, but uh, for somebody like him or other people that are experiencing that, like they wake up and they literally do not feel like they can go back to sleep. What are some what are some tips that you could provide with with knowing just that? <laughs> yeah, well, let me ask you one one more specific question because mm -hmm. how long has that been going on for him? Um, off and on, as I mean, we've been married twenty one years, and it has he is he's never been someone who could sleep past seven. I don't think I, I mean he was always an early riser, so it is definitely in his DNA. He he does not he just can't be in bed sleeping for more than seven or eight hours it just like and he has a lot he has a lot of energy he's high octane energy um so he doesn't he doesn't he'll go to bed at like nine nine thirty but then he'll like wake up at like three or three thirty so that's yeah, been so going on for a bit but it's prolonged now for like a number of months yeah. So again, depending on, you know, if that was like happening sporadically, if it was happening every night, how long it has it been happening would kind of dictate sort of some of what I would recommend, but sort of just knowing what the information that you just shared with me. So that would be called what we can be called maintenance insomnia. It's very common. Um, so some big things we, people do that have this type of insomnia that are not helpful is they stay in bed. So if after 20 minutes, he doesn't up, do that. He could just gets Yeah, no, he gets up. That's good. So yeah. you want to get up, but rather than starting your day, which maybe is what he's doing, um, you want to go and do something relaxing. So this could be in low lit room, stretching, yoga, reading, something that is going to just keep the body in a relaxed state. And if after, you know, let's say, ideally you're, you're kind of feeling into the sleepiness gauge, like is sleepiness coming back on you? And if it is, then just go back into your bed and lay down. But if it's not, you know, don't try to do things to, to get back to sleep because that is a really important distinction. People say, okay, well, I'm going to do this so that I can sleep. And that creates this sort of anticipatory anxiety, like, oh my God, or right. they look at the clock and they're like, oh, I only have, you know, two or three more hours before I have to get up anyway. And that's like activates them more. So do things that are parasympathetic that allow your body to rest. Once sleepiness comes back on you, then you get back into bed. Now, if sleepiness does not come back on you, um, then you just honestly just stay up, stay up the rest of the day. Um, don't worry about it. You, you're, you know, your body will adjust, but you really got to break that pattern 
because it it becomes a learned pattern. Your body becomes it becomes a habit. The body says, "Okay, it's three a.m. It's time to wake up," and um, and you need to sort of retrain that, and that takes sometimes a lot of different experiments and trial and error, and it really depends on the person. But those are some general guidelines. Is like, don't lay in bed. Get yourself out of bed. Do something relaxing. When sleepiness comes back on, get back into bed. If it doesn't come back on, then stay up. And you could implement something what we call sleep scheduling or sleep restriction, which essentially this is a really effective tool for people that don't have anxiety about their sleep. Um, what it does is you give yourself a sleep window. So let's say for your husband, let's just say it's six hours as a sleep window. So from 12 o'clock at night to 6 a.m., that's a sleep window. And he's in bed for that amount of time, whether he's, you know, sleeping or not. So like, for instance, if there's a whole kind of science around this and you can use the aura ring, which is fantastic based off of their sleep efficiency to say, okay, well, if you're under 85% efficient, we're going to decrease the amount of time in bed. If you're over 85% efficient, then we'll increase that six hours to six hours and 15 minutes. And you do this over several weeks, you sort of open or close the sleep window. And what that does is that works on what's called the sleep pressure system in the body, which is this buildup of a neurochemical called adenosine. And adenosine is what creates sleepiness. So what you're doing is you're essentially tricking the body to build up adenosine so that it compresses the sleep window so that the person sleeps throughout the entire night eventually. Can be a bit of a painful process, um, but it's a very effective CBTI technique, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia for that specific issue. Hopefully that was not overwhelming or like- No, I think that was really helpful. And it's interesting because he already does what you said. Like he'll get out of bed, read a little bit, and often will come back and go back to bed um, yeah. after like an hour, you know? Um, but, and then, you know, he's, he's pretty much fine, but I'm sure there's people out there that, like you said, they get up and then they're hyper-focused. I've done this, you know, when I've had a lot on my mind and gotten up and I, I'm not sleeping and then I'm thinking, oh my God, I need to go to sleep because now, now I have three hours. I got to get to, you know, right. and it's like, you just don't. And then I finally, like an hour to go, I'm just like, fuck it. All right. I'm just going to go to bed. Right. And that's finally when I fall asleep. And then, of course, I have to get up in an hour. But um, I love this idea of kind of training. Now, you're talking a lot about the psychological things. Um, people hear a lot about the other things like hygiene, you know, make sure you have dark out shades and this and that. What are your thoughts about the environment? Yeah, so sleep, I mean, so here's the thing. Sleep hygiene will increase the quality of your sleep. If you have insomnia, it's not going to, it actually could do the opposite. It can make your sleep worse because it creates this false belief that you need to do something in order to sleep, that you need to have the room at 68. You need to have your blackout shades and your Epsom salt bath and your meditation or else you're not going to sleep, which is complete BS. It's complete BS. Now, will those things be supportive of quality of sleep? For sure. The depth and quality of your sleep. But Trying to do something so that you sleep actually is counterproductive because you can't force or will yourself to sleep. Just like you can't like will a baby from being, you know, you can't will yourself to get pregnant. Like it just happens, right? So 
that's a really important thing for people listening to understand that there's a time and a place for sleep hygiene. It's really for the quality of sleep. But if you have insomnia, like you have trouble getting to sleep or staying asleep, sleep hygiene necessarily might not be the best option for you. And oftentimes people I find, I speak to people, hundreds of people all over the country uh, every year that have this issue, actually thousands, we help hundreds. Um, but people get in this thing of, okay, well, I'm doing all this sleep hygiene stuff and it hasn't worked. And now they get more anxious because they're like, well, these things were supposed to work. Like I read on, I heard from Joe Rogan and Matt Walker and whatever told me, you know, and that didn't work. So there's really a problem. It here. backfires. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, people really have to be cognizant of, of, of that, but there is a time and a place for sleep hygiene and it can be really helpful. So hopefully people are, are hearing what I'm, Right. I like it's a layer, but it's not the thing that's going to ultimately help your quality and uh, your the I guess the biology of sleep. It's not going to help with that. It can help like with the environmental as a support, but it um, can support it can yeah. absolutely support quality of sleep. It doesn't address the root issue of what's creating this the poor sleep in general, if that makes sense. Absolutely. In in your findings, would you say that anxiety is one of the biggest contributors to sleep difficulty or insomnia? Hey, y'all. Today's podcast is sponsored by AminoCo. AminoCo is a company that has developed products made to help you feel more energized, made to help your bones and muscles feel stronger through these essential amino acids. I use all of the products, but I'm talking about Life Formula today. I include Life Formula because I want to age well with energy and vitality. And especially because I'm going through menopause, I'm in the menopausal process, I'm focused on that healthy heart and combating muscle loss, which are two big concerns after menopause. And just like the other amino products, I really love the taste of life. It doesn't taste like funky or weird or saccharine like some formulas do. I put it in my water bottle and shake it up and have it in the midday. And I feel really confident that the life formula is aiding in my quest to maintain muscle density and strength, just like it helped the astronauts who were originally drinking this magical creation. If you want to learn more about that background and story of the creator, Dr. Robert Wolf, Tune in to my episode 569. And if you want to try it for yourself, I really highly recommend it. Go to the website aminoco.com slash lit. So that's A-M-I-N-O-C-O dot com slash lit. And you'll get a 30% off discount code lit. So go get lit up and try the life formula. 100%. 100%. Most people don't have the tools or the support to understand how to be with, work with uncomfortable sensations in the body, which we call emotions. Um, they don't teach us that in school. A lot of times people just don't even know that they're anxious, you know, because that, that's like their normal sort of how they normally feel. Um, and so that stress and anxiety is absolutely a massive contributor to insomnia. And the challenging part or, is that when people don't sleep, then anxiety and stress goes up because it's bi-directionally linked. 
So this is where people find themselves in kind of a real paradox. Uh, they're, they're stressed and anxious, so they're not sleeping well. And because they're not sleeping well, they're even more stressed and anxious. And then on and on this can go until hopefully they find, you know, uh, someone like myself to help them sort of break the cycle and, and really understand what's useful and what's not useful and how to use certain tools. Well, I know that you have a program or, and then you have this, I also saw you have a retreat. I was like a sleep retreat. This sounds amazing. Um, I, but can you give us some, a little glimpse of what you would, how you would work with someone who is coming to you and has anxiety, whether they're aware of it or not. And that is really, really, um, it's, it's impacting their sleep and is impacting their life, which is inevitable. Yeah. What are some tips, tools that you give? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people listening right now um, who not just periodically, but very, very regularly have, have this issue. When we work with clients, we really work, we look at three phases. We take them through three phases. The first phase is what we call the mind phase, which is addressing the psychology of sleep, the stress, the anxiety, the, the unseen. That's where we start. Then we go into the body phase or looking at the physiology of what's going on. And then we go into the environment, which is really mostly sleep hygiene. So what you're asking is really in this first phase. Um, and there's a lot of different tools that we use when we work with someone. Um, some of the primary ones is first identifying the thoughts and the beliefs that are fueling the anxiety. So we like to say, we, we call them negative sleep thoughts. So like, what are the thoughts and the stories and the beliefs that you're telling yourself that actually add to the stress and anxiety? So first we do a big sort of discovery process of what are all these thoughts? And then what's really fascinating is people quickly realize that the thoughts that they're having that they think are unique to them are not, that they're, they're not unique at all, actually. And they're not even their thoughts. And then they realize, okay, well, which ones are useful, which ones are not useful and which ones are, when I say useful, meaning are these helping you to get what you want, which would be less anxiety, more sleep or not. So we go through this we, and we use a lot of different tools. Can you and, give a couple examples of those, those which you're talking about? Those oh, thoughts? yeah. Yeah. I have about 50 of them. that. Maybe I just give us two. I'm sure. Cause everybody's uh, like, I, I have that. Two. I have that. Yeah. So the. <laughs> One of the big ones people, we, we often hear, and there's, again, there's like 50 common thoughts, but uh, one is, I've, well, I've tried everything and nothing has worked, right? Um, this is genetic. So like a lot of times people believe that their sleep issue is genetic because their mom and their brother and their, and their sister and their uncle all have sleep issues. So they're doomed to have sleep issues the rest of their life. And it's not, there's nothing they can do about it type of thing, um, which really keeps people stuck. And isn't true at all. Um, I know. I see this with movement. Oh, well, my mom had, you know, a knee replacement. Oh, my mom had that, that hump on her neck. And I'm like, you're not doomed to have that, but you probably have modeled your movement after your yes. mom. And so you might be moving the same way or having, you know, dysfunctional movement the same way. But yeah, it is, it's interesting what people, even if they're not consciously aware of it, just kind of have in their mind. Like I'm destined to be like this. This is just, my mom was like this, my dad or whatever. Yeah. Or I'm broken. But a lot of times people think that something physically is broken and it's, it's not like physically they think like, Oh my God, like 
something is extremely wrong with me. And I always tell people, you're unique, but your sleep challenge is not unique. And it's really important because a lot of times people think that have really bad sleep issues, like, oh my God, my sleep issue is, is unique. And as soon as they realize from hearing other people share their stories, wow, that's actually not unique at all. Um, it's, it's like, it's a big breakthrough for, for people to understand that. Cause that's, that's another thought most people have is this is unique. Um, another one that a very common thought people have is this, um, this shouldn't be happening. Right. So, so then we got to get into some inquiry process around that. And we, we actually really use sleep as a tool for people to, to go deeper into uh, self-discovery of some underlying patterns that they're not even aware of that are creating issues in other places as well. Like we find a lot of our clients after going through our program, not only are sleeping better, but the relationships get better. Like a lot of things get better because they realize that, you know, they have these perfectionism patterns that come up in other areas. And so sleep can be a beautiful reflector of uh, life and um, underlying patterns that just people are not aware of that they kind of can see that are keeping them from being able to sleep. And then they're like, oh my gosh, I'm doing this over here too. And I'm, you know, doing this over here as well. And wow, like, so it's really a fun process to see when people really start to understand and have the support and tools to peel back the onion a bit to see what's, uh, what's creating unnecessary suffering in other areas as well. That's Yeah, that's really fascinating. I mean, I wonder if there was ever some very large study that revealed um, people who have mostly had really great sleep versus even like young kids who then grow into bigger adults who like always have like not that great sleep. And it, like what's the connection with anxiety and depression and, you know, imbalance of the nervous system that yeah. leads to all these things? Like I'm sure sleep is kind of at the very, you know, it's like holding the flowers and it's really like, whether or not you know you're blooming or you're getting strangled is has a lot to do with that kind of resting like how we have resting muscle tone it's almost like a resting anxiety tone like how cuz i even think about my kids and my you know and the difference in their sleep and the difference in their personality mm -hmm. and you know it's just kind of and my dad like this this was he was a surgeon he could sleep like drop of a hat and he was like the most chilled relaxed kindest balanced person i know and like he i don't think he ever had a sleep issue <laughs> yeah i mean so if your life is peaceful your sleep usually is as well so again it's usually a flexion that something is out of balance and either how you're thinking or physiologically which usually starts from how you're thinking about things or can you know emotions get stuck in the body and so there's there's that as well um, but if you're, if you're living a balanced, healthy, sort of peaceful life, the chances of you having a sleep issue are pretty, pretty slim. Mm -hmm. So give us uh, tell us about your kind of personal techniques. I know that there is obviously some individualization that happens, but oh, yeah. in general, uh, what, what are, what are things that you do to ensure that you have really healthy psychological and biological sleep? Well, I mean, one of the things that we have all our clients do, and I'm, you know, I, everything that we teach, I also live, um, is, is creating some intentional space to watch your thoughts. So, I mean, you can call that meditation, you can call that contemplation, 
uh, inquiry, but creating the time just to slow down and have intentional time to do some inner work is extremely transformational. Oftentimes people do not create the space to ask themselves important questions, um, preferably in the morning, because oftentimes that's when the first chance that people have is when their head hits the pillow. And that's the last time that you want to be thinking about life's big questions. It's like, do that during the day. Um, but mindfulness, um, you know, so mindfulness meditation, and there's a lot of different forms of meditation and styles and things like that. But finding something that resonates with you that you can have consistency with is extremely powerful. Because um, then you can really start to do the deeper, the deeper work that's necessary because you have an increased level of awareness and you also have trained your intention, your attention, I'm sorry, to be directed to, to really um, cut through some of the things that need to be cut through. So that, that, that's, that's one thing. Um, hydration is really important, really simple stuff. People get up, they drink a big thing of coffee. Last thing you want to do, coffee, you know, again, blocks adenosine. Adenosine builds up, creates this, this beautiful sleep pressure at the, in the evening. Cortisol is highest in the morning, so you want to hydrate. You lose a liter of water throughout the day. So drink a big thing of water when you wake up, wait an hour, then have your espresso or your cappuccino or your Starbucks frappa latte or whatever it is. Um, that way it's not putting so much extra strain on your already strained adrenal glands. So that's something, you know, just drinking water first thing in the morning, having a practice. Um, getting outside, believe it or not. They did a really interesting study where they took these chronic insomniacs, they brought them out into the woods for a week camping, and I forget, it was like nine out of the 10 participants that they took out. Just, they didn't do anything special. They just were getting sunshine, breathing fresh air, um, didn't, came back and didn't have insomnia. So we live in this really hyper, distractive technological world. There's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of things that create hyper stimulation. And so if you can just get yourself outside to be in a place that has some space, that has some natural sounds, fresh air. I mean, that can be hard for people in the city, but usually cities have parks. That goes a long way in your overall mental and physical health and your sleep health. Um, having a bedtime ritual is really important. Now, again, you don't need to do anything to sleep, but having a routine around bedtime, whether that's, uh, we call it a you know, bed buffer between your day and your night. That way you don't take your day into your night. And especially now, because people are working from home, it's so easy for people just to cross blur that boundary. You gotta have clear boundaries with your, your work and your, your life. Um, because if you take your work into your life, you're taking whatever stress, that has built up, you're carrying that right into, you know, your day and your night, and then that's going to affect your sleep. So really having a clear break, taking breaks throughout the day is another really important thing that makes a huge difference, like release the pressure valve throughout the day so that there's not so much pressure to relieve towards the end of the day. I mean, I can go, I can go. Those on are on. amazing. I love it. What are your thoughts about naps? If you don't have insomnia, they're fantastic. If you have issues getting or staying asleep, I would say don't nap because it reduces sleep pressure. And that's not what we want. We want that pressure to build up. I like that idea of, of, of the sleep pressure and the, uh, I love the idea. I'm going to try that. Get up and drink water right away. I've done but that at either. certain points, but I haven't. 
in a long you time. Lead, a, a liter of water. A liter. That's with sweat and respiration. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. And you know, it's so much smarter to do it then because what happens is I'm always like catching up at the end of the day. And of course, then you drink and you, that wakes you up to go to the bathroom, you know? So it's like you're disrupting sleep because you're drinking too much on the, on the, on the back end or, or whatever on the, yeah, yeah. No, at the yeah, end of the day. Yeah. It's so true. And, and an easy way to do that is just get like a big water bottle. Yep. And the first thing you do is you just fill up that water bottle and then you just have that like in your hand all day, pretty much yep. you're just drinking all day. Yeah. Um, but you're and, saying drink a liter first, like get like a liter in the morning. Well, tr- yeah. I mean, front load. I, some people are not going to be able to drink a liter. <laughs> I, I can, I usually can, um, but it's not like I'm drinking a liter at one time. I'm taking right. probably okay. like two cups and then 30, 40 minutes later, I'm drinking the rest. Um, so you don't have to just chug all a liter and then have a full stomach of, of water. Although you can, you could do that. Um, but just as, as long as in the first hour you're getting like a liter in, first two hours, 90 minutes, you, you should be all set with that. Oh, that's amazing. Well, that's my new goal. I knew I, would, I, would, I, knew I was going to take home a lot from this, but this is really good because I know that intuitively, but actually the way you're describing it and how it, like the impact to sleep and how like your cortisol is higher at, at the beginning of the day. And so many of us, myself included, are like jonesing for that cup of coffee first thing and, and we really need to give it a little time. So I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Small things make big difference over time. They really do. Yeah. Um, my final, it's not a question, but just for everyone, when we talk about when you were referencing mindfulness, uh, can you explain why it's good to unload some of those thoughts? Because what sleep is doing is like leftover thoughts are in there. And then, and, and so is that the biggest goal of mindfulness is like to sort it out when you're aware, like when you're awake, so you don't have to sort it out while you're sleeping? I mean, I would say that's one of the many benefits of mindfulness. I mean, mindfulness, depending on how you're practicing and how you define mindfulness, but just being able to bring your present attention or awareness to an object, whether it's a thought or your breath or a sensation in the body and sort of watch the mind go from thing to thing and sort of redirect yourself, that there's so many benefits from a physiological, psychological standpoint. And one of being absolutely being able to catch and become aware of the unuseful thoughts or patterns that usually we're not aware of if we're still identifying with our thoughts. That's the big kicker. If you can, the first, I think, step is under ha- having people understand that you're not your thoughts and step into that place of actually being able to witness your thoughts. Because very often people are thinking that they're the thoughts. And that's a huge barrier to changing anything in life and, and specifically sleep. But during the night, we also deal with undealt with repressed emotion and traumas and specifically through dreams. Now, this is obviously a theory. There's no really proof that that's, but it's, a, it's a theory and it makes pretty clear sense to me as well that at that, that point when you're dreaming, you're working out some undealt with emotion, undealt with sort of traumas throughout the day. It's sort of like emotional first aid. You can think of it um, for the for the brain and for the body. And so if, again, if you're kind of doing some of that work to process and allow things to be as they are um, during the day, then there's not so much of that that has to take place at night. And 
Yeah, yeah that's so, what um, I was getting to because some people I think think that that busy mind or those, you know, whether it's dreams or just thoughts that you're kind of not all the way to sleep, but you're aware that that, that, that is just who you are. And, you know, and, and the ideas here is mindfulness is one way to help get the junk out of the head, right? And to actually, like you said, witness it and that it's, it isn't you, that you don't have to go to bed with all that, all those things bouncing around, but there's ways to deal with it. And this is definitely one. Yeah. And it, it, the thing is, you can't control your thoughts. You can, you know, it's, it's, if you have a racing mind, that's a, a sign that you didn't create enough space throughout your day, you know, and you can't fight fighting your mind or trying not to think or whatever is, is only going to make the mind like what we resist persists. So it just, it just makes it worse. So really just, if you have a racing mind, allowing it to race and just starting to notice what happens when you allow it to just do its thing, it'll eventually kind of simmer down. And then, uh, and then you can start to do some of these practices throughout the day so that it's not so wound up. Um, I, I had to experience this actually last week, I was in uh, Colombia on a meditation retreat, um, a silent meditation retreat. And it's, uh, you know, when you're silent, your, the voice in your head gets very, very, very loud. And that's when most people, the first time they have silence in their day is actually when they're laying in their bed. That's like the first time that they've created the space for silence to happen. And even then sometimes it's not happening because of the TV or something's on. But that's when the mind, you're like becoming aware of all the stuff that's going on in your mind and it gets loud and then it's people can find themselves trying to manipulate or control or force something that's just a phenomenon that happens. Whereas if you can just allow it, witness it and actually practice some acceptance, then it just, your body knows what to do. You know, it's, it's, um, it has an intelligence about it that we often get in the way of. And if we can just allow that to come back online, it just sorts itself out. Mm. Well, this is all fascinating. I, can you please share how people can, like your offerings, first of all. I, I also mentioned the retreat, but there's, there's other programs. Can you tell us a little bit about those programs and how people can um, sign up for them? Yeah, so um, for anyone that has sleep issues, uh, Sleep Science Academy, we, we have an eight-week program that we work with people through using the Aura Ring one-on-one -on -one coaching, group coaching, as well as a, uh, a curriculum that is based in science um, to help people through the three phases, you know, the mind phase, the body phase, and the environment phase. Um, you can learn more about that at the website, sleepscienceacademy.com. My book's on Amazon and Audible, uh, The Sleep Advantage, and Devin Burke Wellness on the social channels. And yes, there's also, uh, we have a retreat coming up in Miami, a sleep retreat at the uh, Carolyn Wellness Resort. It's a beautiful five-star resort in Miami, as well as uh, sleep coach training. If you're interested in doing this type of work with your clients. So that's also rolling out later this year. So a lot, a lot of for, fun things. Yeah. I was going to say that's a lot. And for the people that might want to become a, a sleep coach, is there any prerequisite to that? There isn't. Um, we do, you know, at the moment where this is kind of an internal discussion of should, should you have to have some type of certification for us to then train you to do this work. So we're kind of still talking about that. 
Um, it's yet we have yet to make a decision on that. Here I but, am asking the hard questions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Having yeah. all this stuff myself, I know. Okay, well that's. I mean, you have a lot of offerings. So anybody out there that is struggling with sleep, knows somebody who's struggling with sleep, wants to avoid struggling with sleep. I think there's, you don't have to necessarily wait for it to happen. I think get, becoming educated about how to best support sleep, um, because it sounds like this is this is a life practice. And so this yes. is, um, and sleep is absolutely the most nourishing thing that we can, you know, besides food and oxygen, we can give our bodies and our minds um, for the best and most optimal health. So everybody check that out. And thank you so much, Devin, for your knowledge and your passion. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Laura. And I hope that people listen to this, um, take action on something that they heard, whether it's something small or something big, because you know that's the only way things change. So thanks for having me on the, the show. Thank you so much. And everyone out there, as always, I'm pulling for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.